Yeah, there's a certain martyrdom to it. Good publicity, bad publicity, the satanic panic in the 80s. Yeah, and the other, the other concern that you're running into is that you end up with gatekeeping. Then it becomes a shared, I guess shared trauma is a bad term for it, but yes. All these guys are just like, you don't know enough to be running this. And that's a really big downer, and it's something that a lot of GMs struggle with. Get that anxiety now and then. Hello children, this is Den Mother, and welcome to Rolling in the Den podcast. For this episode, we're going to be talking about the horror in our hobbies. And joining us today in the den around the campfire is this episode's guest, Jay. Hello, Jay! Hello, happy to be here. Thank you for joining us in the campfire, this proverbial campfire, and having this wonderful conversation. So, let's uh, get to know you uh, for a bit. What are you into? What games have you played? I've been around the block, so I've actually played a lot of games. But if we're sticking to favorites, then that would likely be uh, games like Call of Cthulhu, uh, Mage the Ascension, Mage the Awakening. They're, yes, they're two separate games. <laughs> All right. Legend of the Five Rings, uh, Simbarum, Conan, uh, John Carter of Mars, Fantasy Age, RuneQuest, Mutants and Masterminds, and uh, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, just a quick follow-up uh, to those lists. Very good list, by the way. You mentioned Ascension and Awakening. If we were to put it in vampire terms, which ones masquerade, which ones uh, Requiem? Or are they completely um, different? The, well, they're very different. Uh, I guess the best way to put it is that Ascension is the one that uh, matches with Masquerade. Awakening is the one for the Chronicles, which is more uh, Requiem. Mm-hmm. The difference, uh, I guess, is that for Ascension, you're all playing uh, people who are like out to change the world for the better. And uh, in Awakening, you're all John Constantine trying to out, you know, outthink and like uh, basically do harm to everyone else. Uh, what's one word or like one simple sentence or character concept, as they would put it in World of Darkness, uh, that best describes you as a person? Wow. Uh, okay. Let me think about that. I guess in terms of ah, the closest one to me would likely be a New World Order operative for the technocracy. Nice. So I'm guessing you're more of a technocrat then. Yes, actually, quite. Is it safe to ask what's your like? What do you do for a living? Like real world? Other, like sure, you have the cool games, but uh, what do you do? For a living. My work is essentially digital business supervisor for an advertising agency. It's a funky job title that I have yet to figure out how to explain. <laughs> it's all good. I think it sounds really cool. Very technocratic. <laughs> it explains the technocratic angle. You mm-hmm. mentioned so many systems uh, that you've liked. Uh, how many years have you been playing? Um, I started like my official GMing career uh, back in 1997 with the launch of Legend of the Five Rings RPG wow. first edition. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I've been around the block. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you, you've been there in some of the beginnings of some of the games that you've liked. What about playing? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a lot shorter than your Game Master years? Yeah, I've been mostly a Game Master for of my gaming career. I've had uh, 
the fortune of being able to play a couple of uh, mage as the essential games, uh, some exalted, a little bit of Call of Cthulhu, but I find myself most comfortable on the GMC. Okay, so uh, since you're mostly a game master, what are your current games or recent campaigns that are ongoing right now? Um, right now, I'm between campaigns for my home group, but I am running a Call of Cthulhu campaign called uh, Horror on the Orient Express, Ooh. and another one, uh, well, I'm running Horde of the Dragon Queen for another group, so that was Dungeons and Dragons. Sweet, that sounds pretty cool, especially the Horror of the Orient Express. Is this inspired from the Agatha Christie book? I guess a little bit. It's, there's a bit of a tribute to the fact that the Orient Express is like the grandest and most luxurious uh, train line. So it's this globe-trotting, let's, I guess it's Euro trip with Cthulhu, I guess <laughs> the best way to put it. Oh, that, that's really interesting. With all the games that you're doing, uh, is there a place where people can find you, uh, groups you're in? Um, I'm currently in the Legend of the Five Rings uh, PH I'm also in the Call of Cthulhu Philippines group. I lurk somewhere around the World of Darkness group. You can find me on uh, my Facebook page for GMing for Hire. Uh, that's I can probably give the link for that. And you can also look for me at philgamer.wordpress.com, uh, which is my review blog. Okay, philgamer at wordpress.com. And your page? What's the name of your page for Facebook? Uh, you can look for me at jayanyo gm for hire I'm terrible at names. That's okay. I think keep in straight to the point of the page. That's good. So those are the places you can find Jay uh, online. His blog. Yeah, philgamer.wordpress.com. You can also find me on Twitter, other philgamer. Okay. So with introductions out of the way, I believe we can start on the next segment. A uh, bit of a background. I'm sure if we have regular listeners or for people who are just listening in, there are segments for our talk for this episode today, which is about the horror found in our hobbies. So the first segment uh, is called The Ghost Council is in Session. So it's kind of like the usual what I had in the first season, only this one. We have not just the listeners, but the spirits and the ghosts around us listening to our thinly veiled pros and cons talk on a yes or no questions. Do you agree? Yes or no? Why? Disclaimer? It's purely perspective. It's not, you should follow this, you should not do this. It's just more of our takes and perspective. Yes, please. <laughs> Let's go with the first question, or at least the first statement that the ghosts have provided. Dungeons and Dragons is the ultimate tabletop RPG. You just had to start with a heart. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is the ultimate. Uh, depends really on where you want to look at it. Um, I'd like to think that it's the most popular uh, RPG system. So in that regard, uh, yes, it's it's head and shoulders above everyone else. That said, I don't feel that it's the best system in all of TTRPG though. So in that regard, gameplay-wise, there are a couple of things that I have difficulty with in Dungeons & Dragons. So uh, I wouldn't agree that in terms of like gameplay experience, it's not quite the ultimate TTRPG for me. Like, just a follow-up question to, uh, to your answer. 
what is it about the gameplay that you're not really too comfy that it doesn't uh, hit the title of ultimate for you? I guess in terms of Deepo, uh we're looking at Dungeons and Dragons as a game that has a very particular gameplay loop. It's go to a place, kick down the door, kill anything inside, count the money, count the XP, level up, repeat. Uh, so if you have that gameplay loop going on, you actually take out a lot of the roleplay. And most of the roleplaying that you do get, and kudos to 5th edition for adding backgrounds and other things to help flesh out the characters, is, is really, it's not reinforced by the mechanics as much. Maybe now and then you get an advantage, but it's really not a core part of the gameplay uh, loop, so to speak. So I feel that in terms of D&D, uh, I, I don't feel that it completely encompasses the, the, the ultimate title of, of, of uh, TTRPG. No? Oh, thank you for that. I do agree in your points in terms of, yes, it's popular, and the mechanics like... Funny enough, Dungeons and Dragons wasn't my first system. It was Pathfinder. Pathfinder. So, I feel you on the, in terms of the dungeon delving aspect, the combat. It really made me hesitant to. I mean, like I did appreciate the customization, but combat and like that loop that you mentioned, is not like that's kind of like the focus most times and. 5e did make changes to make it more um, narrative in a sense and i guess it really depends on how the dm runs it right but i will agree that in terms of ultimate it's just based like it's easy to get people into it compared to most systems that's that's certainly something that's more of like uh marketing dollars the fact that it's well known ever since you know good publicity bad publicity the satanic panic of the 80s yeah, it had more coverage in a sense. So with that in mind, another follow-up question. What is your ultimate TTRPG, if you had to pick? If I had to pick? Mm. Yep, the ultimate. Like, it would get that title from you. That's difficult. I, I tend to do reviews, so I'm used to looking and picking nits at, uh, at what where a game does well and doesn't. But I think that if you gauge a game based on what it was intended to do then games like call of cthulhu would actually fit that because the way that call of cthulhu works is that you're really meant to take the role of investigators so the system supports it everything about it supports it your skills has libraries as one of the entries yes so... so essentially it encourages you to investigate the case figure out the mystery, try not to get killed, and delivers a fairly solid horror game. But of course, the primary caveat for that is that Call of Cthulhu is a horror game. It knows what it is, and it tries to do that really, really well. Yeah. The difference is that while D&D has that very well-defined gameplay loop, it tries to market itself as something more. That is a good point, and, and it's a good choice to pick. Call of Cthulhu, though I have yet to delve into it in terms of gameplay. I've only played it once or twice, and I've already hooked into it, but uh, I feel like I should give more time to it, but, you know, I'm needed elsewhere in other systems. So, <laughs> so. You're a very busy gamer. Yeah. 
I'm a very uh, busy D and D GM. Unfortunately, that's a that's the need for it. I see. But um, I would agree that Call of Cthulhu is a good it's a good choice for ultimate, and I guess in my choice, like somewhere in the horror aspect, I would generally go for World of Darkness. I do like the system, in a sense. World of Darkness is also a very good choice. The new vampire is really, really uh, dark. Yeah, it is. I, I had to back off from running uh, <laughs> edition. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because there's one particular mechanic that really didn't sit well with me. Uh, the one where you can season VTA yeah. to get from someone oh, yeah. to fermenting them. And I'm like, mm, I'm not yeah. sure I want to run a game for players who might decide to, uh, you know, apply atrocity to like hapless NPCs just so they can get a plus one bonus. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like when you mentioned like the ultimate, like how you would say ultimate uh, tabletop RPG is like what it was intended. I think World of Darkness really brought darkness into the game like they really made it dark and they they had a no holds barred kind of scenario yeah they they really took it to us as far as they could go i guess yeah they really pushed the envelope for that and after pathfinder because like after pathfinder you kind of just want to try something else so i had this like one year of world of darkness vampire requiem uh god machine chronicles uh and it, yeah, it's really good. It's kind of like Call of Cthulhu. It's like a, it's like Call of Cthulhu in World of Darkness, but yeah, more matrix, matrixy. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, yeah the, the Chronicles of Darkness. When when we started playing it, we we had a short run where it was all mortals, and that worked really really well. Yeah, the, so like I feel like World of Darkness and Call of Cthulhu are in that ultimate tabletop RPG. But um, like as discussed in a previous episode with Lance, it's not for everyone. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's there and the, it did what it intended, but it's mm-hmm. not for everyone. So I think we've come to like a slight agreement that Dungeons and Dragons, depending on marketing stance and popularity, it is, but we have our own preferences for ultimates. <laughs> uh, let's go to the next question by uh, the Ghost Council. You should try out other systems of tabletop RPGs. Uh, yes. Uh, I do believe that man shall not live on bread alone. Amen. So it's, it's a good idea to actually like expand your horizons, try something new. Um, doesn't mean overcommit. Uh, if you can find a one-shot of something that might interest you, then there's no harm in trying it. Uh, it, it, it helps because... The one thing I've learned from reviewing so many game systems is that mechanics directly impacts the experience of play. So it's not just just because the D20 I roll versus a difficulty class mechanic works, it will work for everything. So there are other mechanics that come into play that are, are interesting and um, I guess contribute to their own uh, their own way to your experience of play. And that's really something that uh, I, I highly value. And that's probably why I, I brought it up again when, when I talked about Call of Cthulhu in your previous question, uh, <laughs> that it's important to identify what experience you're actually trying to deliver or have as a player or participant in a TTRPG. All right. 
So that that is a good that's a good call. <laughs> Pun. That's a good call. <laughs> uh, for trying uh, out. I hope I'm not starting to sound like a professor at this point. Uh, no, it's actually good. It's good content because like people that might be listening in, they might be like, "Why should I try them out?" And you're giving them reasons to try it out, like mechanics and the one shots. And um, I guess delving deeper into your answer, what's a good system? To try on a one shot that uh, new people can try without feeling overwhelmed, in terms of the mechanics and the newness of the system. I guess the easiest ones that I can think of right now uh, would be Mutants and Masterminds, which is a superhero campaign. Uh, if you're used, well, I'm assuming that you're used to DND. If you've tried DND before, Mutants and Masterminds uses a system that was essentially born from D20. So it's a little easier. And with the third edition, they've had a basic handbook that come out, that came out. So it's more of you pick a template and you can play that. So you have speedsters, you have you know bricks, uh, power, uh, energy projectors, and uh, psionics and ma- magic-based guys, uh, shapeshifters. So these are all things that you can just pick, uh, define what your character's name is, their background, what their costume looks like, and then you can start playing. Nice, nice. Uh, I think uh, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a lot of people might want to try out playing a superhero. Yeah, um, interestingly enough, I've, I've tried pitching it, and the two things that actually get people to try Mutants and Masterminds is the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Boku no Hero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, playing with the quirks. <laughs> yeah, I did uh, hear a friend, like, they tried Mutants and Ma- Masterminds, because uh, I didn't get to play. I only get to hear like second-hand stories. They got to do a a drunk flash and a, an electro Batman. It just shocks everyone. So that that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the thing with, with superhero games is that I guess when you define it and then you set it up with your players, it's also very important to pay attention to like what kind of tone are, are people comfortable with. Because yeah, it's super easy to go comedy with with superheroes, yeah. and if that's fine with the group, then great. Then everybody has fun. But if you're trying to go for like, I want something broody, I don't know, something like Dark Knight Batman, and then suddenly you have, I don't know, <laughs> drunk, drunk some, Flash. Yeah, Drunk Flash, or then again, you know, Batman has villains like you know, Polka Dot Man. So I guess <laughs> it's not a stretch. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, segue to the last question. Slightly related to the previous topic, learning, or at least trying out a new uh, tabletop RPG, like studying the mechanics, is what stops people from going beyond their usual tabletop setup. I'm going to go with a qualified maybe. Yes, it is intimidating. If you go ahead and drop them a 500-page rulebook, like let's say Pathfinder, uh, to someone who has never played before, then Yes, it's it's quite intimidating. And then you have other games also which clock in at around the same amount. So what I've learned works best for people is to basically introduce them into the into the game by taking control of like most of the bookkeeping and then uh, mathematics in your head. What I've done before is um, okay, a little bit of an anecdote, old war stories time. Uh, 
<laughs> I ran a campaign of a superhero game called Hero. Uh, it's it's Hero System. It's uh, billed as the ultimate gamer's toolkit because it is literally a superhero's mechanics with no setting, no de- no setting by default, and the character creation and powers creation rules are so granular you can start out a sandwich wow so with that the good part about it is that you can literally define everything about your character and everything about their their uh, abilities and powers but uh there's a fair amount of uh, bookkeeping in character creation so what i did for that was like okay i do want to run a superhero game for you guys but I want you guys to be able to build pretty much whatever it is you feel like making. So tell me what your concept is. I'll build the character using the system. I'll run it by you guys for checking. And then during the game, we'll learn as we play. So I can teach you the mechanics as you start using Yeah, it's them. like learn as you go. That's a, that's yep. a good model. Yep. Eventually, they'll start picking up on it. And then um, what happens is that since they start earning XP and then the character points to improve, then it becomes a motivation for them. Like, okay, what can I do now with my speedster powers? Then I, then I show them the book. Here's the list of speedster powers. Why don't you have a look? And then let me know what looks interesting to you and then we can go over it together. Nice. So it's like slowly easing them in into the new system. Mm-hmm. So that way there's no front loading of information because to be honest, the reason why D&D works so well is that you just tell them, roll this one die versus this number I tell you, and then you're good to go. Yeah, and there's a thing called quick builds, which just makes things a lot easier. Right. So, you know, Mutants and Masterminds does something similar with templates. Um, unfortunately, World of Darkness does not tend to do this. So no. it's a lot of like, <laughs> you know, but at least it's all just dot counting. You know, let's fill out dots and everything. Uh, it's less intimidating because they don't see numbers. Yes, that is uh, true. Which was uh, something that helps uh, help sell it at the time. Exactly. Well, yours is a baby. I would have to say yes in terms of the learning. Like I've done way too many newbie tables in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, just Dungeons and Dragons alone. When I tell them there's twelve classes, oh no, that's a lot, and I'm like, you haven't even tried the other systems yet. <laughs> so. Um, they're already overwhelmed in terms of the core and the amount yeah. of published material. And people get really comfortable with the system they're playing. That it takes, like, they've already invested so much on learning this one that change or at least something new is something they're very hesitant about. Like, I already have a character here, so why would I, you know, explore it? So, uh, yes, it is. The, the learning side of things is what makes people very hesitant but i think the way like you said to share it is like um make sure it catches their interest in a sense like oh you you wanted to do this build about a superhero that can't be done in dnd because it's all about medieval lord of the rings kind of flavor and you want to do this this system allows it you can be this character so it's like you have to slowly coax them in to certain things and try not to overwhelm them with the mechanics or the the pages part so it's like using them and is what helps them try it so for me it's an absolute yes but it could be a maybe yeah i, I think you're 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 spot on with regards to like not again not to rain on dnd's uh parade but there are things that other games do better than dnd so 
and you'll never know what those are unless you try them. Exactly. So it's, but in terms of getting people into it, um, first of all, it's really about uh, finding like a, a genre or a style of play or something that they want to explore that's beyond what D&D normally does. Because sometimes I've seen people like try and jury rig D&D to be a superhero game or a, a sci-fi game. And it just ends up like this giant mess of uh, house rules when they could easily have just spent that time uh, running a different game. <laughs> I would have to agree on that, having done that <laughs> for a lot of a lot of oh, no. <laughs> uh, campaigns, like like this one. There's a Persona game. Uh, I have a lot of kids that like Persona. And I ended up using 5e. And then I found that there was like a simpler system that, and they have like skill trees for like the spells and stuff. And I was like, why didn't I find you there before? I had to house rule a lot of things. So like, I do agree. Yeah. There are systems that can do certain things that D&D can't. So yeah. Uh, thank you so much for the answers to both ghosts and living, I believe, will appreciate all the answers that we provided. And since there are no violent reactions from the ghosts, I think we're good to go. <laughs> we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be doing a few more spot checks. Um, get diving deeper into the hobby. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. October is a time for spooks and frights, so dudes and dice give you two nights, special event, two nights of horror, with RPGs that bring you terror, resist Cthulhu's call, or join vampires in the night, run from the aliens that give you fright. We have RPGs to give you a scare, so come and join, if you dare. First come, first fright, for two nights. Two nights of horror, until Hallow's Eve. You can come. But you might not leave. And we're back! Cheers! While we're still in the proverbial campfire, uh, we're gonna do a bit of a spot check. Uh, Have you ever heard of this term before? Um, From D&D, yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's actually uh, 3.5 reference. And slash pathfinder it's just used to basically detect things that are hiding in plain sight um, I use the segment to basically have like perspectives make a successful check on things that some people don't notice but we might notice because of our skill sets perhaps yeah, sounds good all right so for the first spot check the concept of hobby as art is it a form of elitism is it a form of elitism okay i think the idea of the hobby as art is a very strongly held point of view by certain gms who really put in a lot of passion and, and effort into their work that said i think it's also important to remember that ultimately uh, rpgs are just a game you're supposed to be able to um, walk away uh, with a positive outcome uh, among your players. So if you're looking at it 
in one way. Um, RPGs can be art uh, in, in a performative fashion because, uh, let's be fair, GMing is mostly uh, a... Uh, you're running off the seat of your pants. You're, you're performing spontaneously. And we all know that your notes never translate into what you actually say. Yep. Uh, unless you're like literally reading it off the page. So in that regard, I believe that there is some form of, of performance. I don't necessarily feel that it can be called art, uh, but there is a measure of performance that, that uh, is involved in GMing, especially since uh, when you're already at the point where you're both GMing because you're out of the mindset of, oh, I just have to get through this encounter to I'm running this encounter, engaging if my players are actually having fun. Because that's, that's I think that's a trading point in a lot of GMs. Your first task as a new GM usually is like, I need to run this encounter and make sure that the, all the rules are represented. The goblins are doing what goblins are supposed to do. And, you know, I... I apply a level of challenge that my players will be happy with uh, without getting my ass kicked so easily. Then after that, you eventually evolve to the point where you're like, okay, I'm used to the system enough that I can start looking at, is this actually fun for my players? This is where your GMs actually end up doing the, okay, the rest of the goblins run away, you guys succeed in this encounter, here's your XP. Yeah. So in, in that regard, from that point, people start moving on, uh, sometimes to World of Darkness. Then it becomes, do I build the right atmosphere? Does my player character, does the player character actually experience the kind of, I don't know, pathos or yep. something or fear for that matter uh, that I want them to, to, to experience? Because at the end of the session, during the debrief, uh, the players can be like, oh, that was awesome. I, my player character was absolutely terrified throughout the entire. So it's 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 a thing, but to necessarily call it art, I guess, requires a greater appreciation from a public. But agree that it's a performance of some sort. Yeah, I guess it's less about it being like I do agree that in a sense it is like you're putting a lot of passion into it, and you're basically pulling a lot of scenes out of your mind and making it something that players can interact with. Lots of thought is put into it. But it in itself, like if you're going to treat it on a high pedestal, that it kind of takes away what it's supposed to be. I think that's what it, that's where the problem begins. Yeah, ultimately where... the hobby is meant to be approachable. Yes, it's, it's supposed to be for everyone. It's not supposed to be just like, this is for me to showcase my characters or showcase my world or showcase my my brilliant uh encounters how i've excellently executed them i don't want to say that people who really put a high put a high emphasis on how they they do their games is like elitists by default it's like what you've said when they remove the thought of like are people enjoying this? Am I enjoying this? And it's becoming more of, I have to do this certain thing. That's where the problem is. And I think it can take a form of elitism. Yeah, and the other, the other concern that you're running into is that you end up with gatekeeping. This is particularly yeah. notorious for setting heavy games. 
say Star Wars, Star Trek, Legend of the Five Rings, what they call this, Song of Fire and Ice, where you have all these guys just like, you don't know enough to be running this game. And yeah. that's a really big downer. And it's something that a lot of GMs struggle with. I get that. I guess I, I get that uh, anxiety now and then. Like, for example, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try running Star Trek. And then all these 40 plus year olds come in <laughs> who've been watching since, you know, the, or- the original Star Trek series. And I'm like, okay. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, just imagine this is another, you know, alternate universe and you should be fine. You know, it's possible. It's sci fi. <laughs> so that's one problem i like gatekeeping i can't i can't emphasize how problematic that is in terms of like especially in these kinds of settings especially you're just there to give people fun and have your own spin to things like how you would handle things and then they would tell you no this is the way you should run a game this is the way you have to do things and i think that really stops people from trying things out or like getting into the said hobby because of those kinds of yeah. behaviors. It's it's one of the reasons why I really appreciated the fourth edition of Legend of the Five Rings because it's literally coded in the DNA. You should run it as L5R your way. And another game that does this is RuneQuest, which has the, I guess, more diplomatically put, your Glorantha may vary. Uh, sorry, Glorantha is the name of the setting. Uh, oh. But yeah, so... There are some games that acknowledge that, you know, every GM brings their own canon, their own setting, their own version of it, and that's not wrong. And there's a certain acceptance in it, in a way, except, like, there are certain ways of playing, like, let's say, organized play that they have a specific rule set, which is fine. There's still a lot of flexibility to it, but I just hope that the art in itself, it's that you don't do it art for art's sake. Kind yeah, of yeah. So for the next spot check, uh, you did mention that you did some paid games. You're also running a page, uh, GM for Hire. So I'm assuming the gen- the general paid games concept is something yes, you're familiar I've with. Yes, I've been running it uh, for about two years now. Uh, started off as an experiment, and then it became a, a fairly regular thing. Yeah, that's good. And... Um, so that brings us to this spot check. Um, why are paid games so controversial? Why are people against well, it? Well, I guess the, the easiest way to explain it is that for a lot of GMs, it feels like an affront to charge for something that they feel that they're doing because they enjoy it. But this is in the context of running it for friends. Because, you know, it's like, why, why would you charge for GMing? I GM for my friends all the time, and I never, never charge them. I'm like, that's great. And I'm sure that your friends are having a good time. But the reason I run games for uh, for hire is because there's actually an underserved demographic of players who are either lapsed gamers, uh, yeah. old gamers, gamers who have no time to actually uh, find a group of their own, but are interested in, in trying a, a game or playing uh, or reliving a hobby that they long thought they no longer have time for. Then there's also that subset of other GMs. Uh, I actually have a fairly good stable of, of customers who are GMs themselves who join in on the paid games because it's an opportunity to try playing systems that they 
don't want to purchase yet, but are interested in doing so in the future. So primarily research, essentially. What got you into paid GMA? Is it because of you experienced yourself? You're like, you felt like you were one of those demographics that weren't able to play that much or like what well, got you into Well, I guess it? the first thing would be, I was always looking for a way to monetize my hobby so that it always pays for itself. That way I never spent any of my salary to pay for a hobby. So yeah. that started off with the reviews on my blog, which were very good. I get like, uh, I forgot what they call that, but you get a percentage, a commission percentage from drive-through RPG from links, uh, PDFs bought from uh, links from my blog, which uh, gave me a little bit to spend on PDFs. And then of course, review copies, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Shout out to Chaosium and Modifius and Free Aligan. And of course, the idea that, you know, there is an underserved demographic and maybe, just maybe, if I actually try charging for it, there might actually be people who are willing to pay me as long as I do a good job. What would, like, I guess a follow-up, a good follow-up question to this is like, what, what do you think it would take for people to like not see this as uh, something against the hobby, but something for the hobby. Like it actually helps the hobby. I think it, it the best way to do that would be to expand your awareness beyond your immediate circle of friends, because a lot of the the pushback that I tend to get tend to be from people who don't understand it because they have a regular game, they have a regular home game. It's either because they run it or they play in it, and the idea of paying for for this game seems outrageous but if you look at it gming is actually work it's actually a lot of work um you have to plan out all these encounters you have to like figure out how to best appeal to 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 the player characters build up on their storylines make it so that everybody goes home happy the difference is i can pay for it and i guess the other thing is that you're also encouraged to up your performance level because if you run a home game for friends it could be a mediocre session and everybody's like, oh, good game. Let's you know go home and have pizza or something. For a paid game, these people vote with their wallets. And ultimately, you rely on them yeah. to talk about you to their other friends and get repeat business. So yeah. when you're at a point, GME, where you're already looking at the other players and trying to determine, like, are they having fun? What should I pull back on? What should I push more? What kind of content engages them? And you start making adjustments on the fly. Then I guess you're at the point where you, you can reasonably you know put yourself up in, in terms of like professional availability because uh, you want to be able to like cater to whatever people want. So there's a lot of communication before the game. Uh, especially if you have a group of people who have never played with each other before but are all interested in this game because it's an underserved demographic like for example uh, offering a superhero game some people prefer to, to play superheroes but nobody runs it i'm i'm essentially the one providing supply and in, in that aspect i do agree that at least from experience with my current server it's nice there have been a lot of players like from various groups I'm part of where the current player group they're struggling to find a DM like that is a struggle 
I've I've talked to players who were like, I went to Reddit looking for a DM and there's no DM, and that's already talking about Dungeons and Dragons. There and then there are people who don't play Dungeons and Dragons, other systems, and there's not many GMs. The players are many, but the GMs are right. few. Essentially, so. In, in a way, it's an underserved market. You should get into it. Yeah, I, I, I wish I can. I, I just I don't know where to start. <laughs> How to go about it? So, um, but it is something to explore. I think what game masters are doing right now, not getting paid and helping the community, it's like saint levels <laughs> for me. Yeah, there's a certain martyrdom to it. The the whole I'm doing this for the community is great. If we were back in the early '90s. Where you could literally count the number of groups in like a single Yahoo email, you know, group. <laughs> but now you have organized play, large groups that run epics. It's not about that anymore. Yeah, and I understand that my my role in the community is like you know I'm no longer this missionary out <laughs> to spread the word of the hobby. Uh, it's on community. It's on like you know Stranger Things. People know about the hobby already. That's why you end up with a lot of things where a lot of times where you have, ah, for example, I had decent success uh, in getting paid games out of my office wow. because I ran a, a quick Call of Cthulhu game for some of my office mates because they were curious about the hobby. And then after that, two of them spun off to their own respective paid games. So they, they brought in their barcada. I run for them. Uh, for for two separate. I patients. also have this notion that, at least, it's maybe controversial, but the GM should get like a lot more than just in terms of like praise and reputation. Like it's okay to build on that, like oh, especially for the community, and you you will get that kind of respect for creating a game and having people experience that and just having that time to escape and play their fancy char- characters. But I don't think it's wrong to make a living out of your passion. I think that's not wrong to have. At least to aim for that. Like I want in the future, like communities will be able to provide at least like for every game, the GMs will have some sort of incentive to, like, because they're gonna be, like, the books aren't cheap. No, <laughs> the, they're not. The tokens aren't cheap. The actual time and energy that they had to read the module and create the maps, time goes through it. Instead of them like having to sleep or just watching a series, they're putting themselves out there. Yeah. And, and you know. I'm not against get giving incentives and or at least making a living from running games. It doesn't at least to me, it doesn't ruin the game. I think people just got used to it's. It's kind of like I. I, I don't want to make like a like a two and two like apples to apples comparison, but it's kind of like how people mostly treat artists, in a sense that oh, you're doing drawing, it should be easy, you should gift for free kind of scenarios. Yeah, so in that regard, yes, there's a lot of hidden costs to being a GM, uh, especially if you're a GM that's trying to push a non-mainstream game. I was just looking at uh, fully booked just earlier today, and I saw the bestiary for uh, Pathfinder Second Edition. Oh! It's <laughs> like, oh my God, is this three thousand bucks? Like, I, I cannot. Cries inside, sees the books. Ah, yes. Goodbye, wallet. Big cries in wallet. So, yeah, I think I I look forward to a future that 
um, where it's actually like an accepted norm. It's not something that people would be like, oh, that makes you a bad GM if you ask for money. We still have bills to pay. We still have a life outside of the game. Like, it's good to spend time on the weekends, you know, to run games for friends, but, Mm -hmm. you know, this... Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to call out. I still run free games for friends. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't charge for every game I run. I, you can find, well, you could find me before in like community events running one shots for free. So, I, I still pay my dues as far as the community building is concerned. Yeah. Speaking of uh, community building, we're just a bit of a, a segue, a plug-in for. So we're gonna be closing in on the days to two nights of horror it's a non-dnd event we'll be running a lot of non-dnd games like call of cthulhu savage worlds vampire the masquerade there's also other systems that my community is also running as well that's very popular which is powered by the apocalypse and uh everybody is john (laughs) It's, it's a fun game that's a, a constant in our community so we're trying to give more love to uh, systems other than D&D and showcasing one shots for them to try yeah that's 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 certainly something I can get behind yeah so it'll be on October 30th and 31st uh, if you guys haven't secured your seats as players uh, secure them now you can find the event two nights of horror it's under dudes and dice Devo. so yeah going back <laughs> tying in the final spot check for this segment so we've been talking about paid games people being against it and stuff let's talk about how the older generation sees tabletop rpgs and basically all forms of games as a waste of time despite the cultural impact and the benefit why do you think it's that why is there the general games are bad and yeah okay, I think, let's start well, with that first in terms of the older generation, I think it's really more of the uh, games are a waste of time because there's no inherent benefit to it uh, as far as their point of view is concerned. I've usually been able to turn that around by saying, oh, I earned from this. <laughs> so it's a great way to stop them. Um, but yeah, I, I think in terms of the generation now, there's this more acceptance that the gaming in general is, uh, it's hard to understand when you're of a certain age. Or you, you see them you know, throwing dice, pouring over boards and all these things. So it, it feels like they're either gambling or just whiling their time telling stories to each other. So it doesn't look productive, despite the fact that, you know, um, there's psychology studies already now that uh, talk about how, uh, what do you call this, experiences that you go through uh your mind actually doesn't distinguish whether or not it was real or imagined mm-hmm. so there's some benefit to uh vision uh what do you call this visualization training uh, and and even rpgs in the sense that if you get pushed into a stressful situation and you get over it your body gets inured to it. Your mind gets inured to dealing with hardships or making tough decisions in high stress situations. Exactly. That's that's really good. Like it helps you handle or compartmentalize stress. And I think that I can't emphasize enough the benefits of tabletop RPGs. I made a paper in school. I studied psychology, 
and I actually use Dungeons and Dragons uh, when I practiced my clinical setting. So basically, I was in a like a psych psychiatric ward, and you know I was dealing with rehab rehab people, and it was like the, the, beyond the language barrier. Like I really felt we bonded because like it was something else i provided a game that isn't just parlor right. games and then, right, right. Uh, i ran a game for them for mm -hmm. basically a span of five weeks nice nice uh and i was able to create a paper for that and how it really helped them like they were happy how i didn't treat them like like i made them like heroes they felt different they were able to do a lot of crazy things, <laughs> like in terms yeah. of that, um, let's say they wanted to shoot lightning out of their hands, and they were happy about it. They they were able to bonk the villains, they were able to do shoots, and there was no divide in a sense. Like, we were just a bunch of people playing D&D, and I really did, I can't stress enough how much it helps in a psychosocial level, like how it just connects you to a person. Like, there's something else when you get on a table with strangers and you can come out as, like, pseudo-friends or comrades. Yeah, well, it's a shared experience. And to some extent, if you're able to adequately build, I guess, atmosphere and, and such in how you run the game, then it becomes a shared, I guess, shared trauma is a bad term for it. But yes, a shared experience that helps bond. It's something that you know they have in common all of a sudden, and it's something that's exclusive yeah. to other people. So it's something they can fall back on. It's really nice, and yeah, like you said, it's a shared experience. It's a social learning experience, and I don't think it's a waste of time. And I hope that generations, both young and old, uh, get to see that games are becoming more of a way to develop a lot of things, and it's not just for that boost of happiness or the hand-eye coordination, whichever argument that is, there are right. benefits yeah. to that. Yeah, the, the classic hand-eye coordination argument. Essentially, uh, well, I have I have my own, uh, I guess, test subject in the sense that I have a five-year-old. So I, I literally just bought the Tales of Equestria starter set. Yeah. So I'll be running that. I also wrote my own RPG for kids ever since I learned I was going to be a dad. Unfortunately, Aww. I can't talk too much about that one because I actually sold the rights. <laughs> so it's, oh, okay. it's going to get published eventually. Um, yeah, soon. Uh, and when it comes out, we should definitely have a talk about oh, yeah. it. <laughs> I also write a couple of other games. I have one that's already out, uh, Badass. I, I did see the live of that. It's pretty cool. And yeah, so thanks for the spot checks. But uh, let's go move on to story time. So the actual title for this is... You can't make this shit up. <laughs> okay. So some people might hear the story and be like, what? Did that really happen? And usually my response to most of those things is like, you can't make this shit up. This actually happened. So it's an experience, a first-hand experience that you that you went through, through your table or out of it. Um, it's like a scenario related to the theme of this episode, which is uh, horror and our hobbies. So... I'd like to know a story, the one time, the one game that cut through your personal time and it just made you question your life decisions, like why am I playing this long, and stuff like that. I don't quite have a time horror movie uh, sort of uh, experience, 
but I do have one which was, I, I guess if you're really going for that, did, did something like this really happen, then I, I, I have a story that I can tell about that. Um, so this was way back uh, when I was just freshly graduated from college and I was running a Legend of the Five Rings um, first edition, I think, uh, game in a local gaming store. And the thing was, this was right next to a college. So, you know, the same college where I graduated. So there was a lot of rotating players in that campaign. Now, the thing with Legend of the Five Rings, for those who aren't aware of the, of the setting, is it's essentially a fantasy version of medieval Japan with uh, clans and houses similar to uh, how they arrange things in a Game of Thrones. So you have noble houses, everybody is a noble at one way or one way or another. You have very strongly held uh, philosophies and, and ways of, of life that are diametrically opposed to each other by design. So what happened was we had two players who were super into their own characters uh, that it got to the point where I had to break up an actual fist fight inside the store because things just escalated over and over and over and you know things got out of hand and eventually I had to like break up an actual fist fight before they started wrecking things in the store. And I'm like, okay, time out. Both of you are no longer in this campaign. <laughs> you know, this is completely out of hand, and this is not what the game is supposed to be about. Oh, that that got really intense, huh? Yeah. So, uh, just just out of curiosity, what are those two clans that you don't need to mention the players? But what were uh, the clans that were green and crab? <laughs> so <laughs> you know, they're they're lit diametrically opposed. Uh, in every sense of the word. I'm not surprised. Oh. Like, ah, yes. Nods. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it got really strange after a while. Oh, I guess a follow-up question is, how did you handle the... How did you handle the games afterwards? Like, were you a bit more careful? Did you, did you put reminders? Like, this is a game, guys. Remember, <laughs> this is a game. Yeah, I guess... Well, the first thing I did was like be more choosy with my players. <laughs> Back then, it's like, oh, I'll take all comers. And then apparently, like, gaming styles don't match. And we get people who are like very touchy. Uh, but in terms of running L5R in particular, um, I could go on for like an entire episode about how to run L5R. But I'll take you I guess, for it. I guess, yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I, it's one of those game settings that I'm like very, very passionate about. But anyways, for, for this case, it's also, I guess, building expectations. And I guess it also influences why I tend to run single clan games uh, as, my, as my default preference. Because the, the way that L5R is structured really is about, sure, in the surface, we'll work together because the emperor says so or something. But we all have our own secret agendas, and they don't always agree. So as long as the players are fine with that and understand that once in a while, a player will sabotage your work <laughs> to achieve their own hidden objective, and then walang pikunan, 
and that's okay. Yeah, that that's the thing, guys. It's just a game. It you shouldn't lose friendships over it. <laughs> you shouldn't like get too personal. You shouldn't physically hit people. <laughs> like please no, don't hit each other. That is like PSA. So it's like this stereotypical Chinese uh, tavern guy. Yeah, no fighting, no fighting. Take it yes, outside. Not not here. Over there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for that. Sorry. Let's hear another story from you. Was there one time, like an interesting experience, where you were sharing your hobbies to? I wouldn't. I guess normie is not really a good term, but basically somebody's never heard of Dungeons and Dragons. There are still some people who have not heard of tabletop RPGs. They've never watched Lord of the Rings. They basically avoided that kind of genre all their life. Like how? Like do you have a story where it got to a point of the conversation where you had to explain? What yes, actually, I have a really good example of this one. <laughs> Cue to my then girlfriend and now wife in her room while I was waiting outside holding a copy of of Vampire the Masquerade Dark Ages and her mother. And so it was all about, you know, what what is it that you guys do on the weekends anyway? So like oh it's you know it's this uh, role playing games this activity you know I try to take it from a more intellectual point of view, um, considering that she's like an HR practitioner and psychology, uh, you know doctorate, who apparently secretly deployed people to background check me when I started dating my now wife. <laughs> so it was it was an interesting uh, en- encounter, major hot seat. But uh, it it was it ended well. Um, ultimately, I ended up loaning, uh, you know, her mom uh, the 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 core book. So she checked it out. I mean, and she apparently had an interest in in that as well. But we were able to oh. to work it out. But I was never able to run for her. Oh, okay. That that's interesting. I have experienced um, encountering parents. Like especially if their kids are getting into the game, <laughs> then but it's the kids who are interested and they're saying like, oh, okay, they're not doing anything illegal. This looks like a social interaction. They're with other kids, yeah. so this is fine. So yeah, sometimes the bar is really low. You know, case of like the drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we're not doing drugs. We're 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 playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's they have D, but it's not drugs. I swear. It's just yeah, you know, it's like it's the safest you know thing they could get into at this point. Yeah, it's like you know, it's just there could be a lot of dice hoarding, but that's about it. But yeah, I, I guess that story, I I don't have exactly one that can top it, but um, I guess like I would remember just off the top of my head, like in college, like in my college, like I I go to a college here that um, it's a bit like up. Highlands. I don't know how to explain this. It's just like it's up there. It's lots of greeneries. It's like you're suddenly in the middle of like a lot of green areas, and it's like it's close to the cemetery and whatnot. <laughs> and then uh, they saw me carrying the PHB, and they just looked at it. And, What's that? I'm like, oh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. What's that? And <laughs> it's like uh, it's a tabletop RPG. Tabletop RPG, and it, 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 that kind of like, oh, no. that what, the, it, 
a follow-up question. And I'm, I'm glad at least there was interest that they kept following it up with questions. What's tabletop RPG? You know, Filipino. No, 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 no. It's like the one thing. It's like, oh, you can play as a Filipino. That was the one thing I could remember in that conversation. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Uh, have you watched Lord of the Rings? And they were like, oh, that's too long. I didn't like it. I was like, oh, no. It's like, how do I explain this? Um, have you played Dota? My favorite Lord of the Rings story is a friend of mine coming over to me. Jay, namatay si Gandalf. I'm like, ah, I got a story for you. It's <laughs> like, ah, oh, yes. Uh, check out the other the other movie. Wait for the next few movies, guys. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, it was just um like having to find that it got to the point though, the only way they understood it is basically I said, Do you play Dota? Ah oh, yes, 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 I play Dota. So it's like, you know, you kinda of like a bunch of heroes with set of skills and and they're like, You try to kill the other party? I guess that works. It's like you're fighting in PC. It's like that kind of having to find the right reference for them to get. Right, right. It's like, Control like It's like, please, please. Because, like, having to explain what's classes, like, what? Classes? Like, have you played Ragnarok? Oh, yes, 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 okay. Right, that's good. At least you know Ragnarok. At least you know um, Dota. So that's easy to explain. So that's, I guess, the closest story. But but yeah, thank you for sharing those stories with us. It's actually the end of the episode. It's the end of the podcast. And I'd like to leave this time for you to give your parting words, your final words that you'd like to leave to our listeners and the ghosts and the living and everything in between of what we talked about in this episode. I guess the best... No only thing I can say at this point is like I'd like to encourage people to try new things. There's a host of other RPGs out there that's worth trying. Even if it's not through a paid GM, uh, there's plenty of options out there. Uh, and, you know, look for something that uh, strikes your interest. There's definitely an RPG for whatever it is that you're into. There's an RPG for, like, Mexican telenovelas, even. So, uh, Pro wrestling. Uh, I've yet to find a basketball the tabletop RPG, but I guess that's like the holy grail, I think. But essentially, you know, look for, for look for, look up your interests. There's more to the world than D and D, and who knows? You might find something that you, you know, you'll find more rewarding, uh, or at the very least, you would have learned something, and you can bring that with you uh, to your other games. Thank you for that take away. I guess I'll leave the listeners to uh, just dwell on the thoughts that we've had today and the horror in our hobbies essentially is when we take away at at least in uh, Jay's words if you forget the core of it which is are you enjoying it? Are the players enjoying it? And the moment we start gatekeeping and putting our eyes away from what the game actually is, that's where the real horror is. So yeah, uh, thanks again, Jay, for being part of our podcast. You're most welcome, and thank you for having me. We're going to close the fire. We're going to turn up the fire now, and we're going to give everyone a good night. All right, good night, everyone. <laughs>